Welcome to the Rescue Radio, the show that brings you closer to the outdoors. My name is Anja Viktorovich, and I'm extremely happy to have you all here. May 24th, 2014 was Mike Adams' last Mount Hood climb. He remembers taking pictures before heading down, putting his phone away, and then nothing. Let me welcome today Mike Adams, who survived a long fall, and Pierre Beisinger, who was one of the rescuers for PMR that day. Welcome. Hello. Hi, Anya. Please introduce yourself. Uh, yeah, I'm Mike Adams. I'm uh, 67 this year, and I uh, live in Wilsonville, Oregon, and have a uh, wife and a lot of grandkids. <laughs> Thank you. And Pierce? Hi there. I'm uh, Pierce Beisinger. I'm a rescue leader with Portland Mountain Rescue. Uh, my day job is uh, working in cardiac surgery and critical care uh, here at one of the local hospitals. Thank you. So before we jump into the accident, Pierce, if you could tell us what is fumarole and why is it so dangerous? Yeah, so it's it's fumarole, not uh, funeral, as some people might think. But uh, <laughs> in some cases, it might feel the same way. And mm-hmm. Mike will tell you a story about that. But uh, the short answer is that a fumarole is essentially a gas vent on a volcano mountain. And we have them throughout the Northwest. They're on St. Helens and, and Mount Hood. And they're known for their toxic gases. Each gas, uh, or excuse me, each mountain having its own concentration of gases, uh, and some of those being uh, quite toxic to humans. And where do we find them on Mount Hood? There are uh, are multiple uh, fumaroles on Mount Hood. Uh, for the most popular climbing routes, being on the south side of the mountain, uh, we have some that are in the Devil's Kitchen area, and then just over the Hogsback Ridge in the Hot Rocks area. Oh, so there's many ways you can fall into them. There are a lot of ways <laughs> to hurt yourself on the mountain. So, Mike. Yes. Tell us about your day. It was May 24th. Yeah, May 24th. We I usually take off at midnight or so, and so it's uh, <clears throat> get a little bit harder snow. And I hadn't climbed for about 10 years, and or the mountain for about 10 years, and so I, uh, but I'd been on on uh, on hood several times, at least a dozen. And so it's and the first thing I notice going leaving about Silcox Hut, which is about a mile up, the steepness of the of the grade um, is something I I didn't expect, and it was um, probably it, you're ta- I, I all I remember the first few times I went up the mountain it was a you know, nice walk to the top. This time it was steep and very treacherous, and if you didn't cramp on up almost immediately, and I was with uh, two friends that I was uh, teammates of mine, and then the uh, two other gentlemen that were friends of one of them from a, um, another company, but they wanted to have somebody that had been there lead them to the top, so I was chosen, and I agreed to do it, and it was uh, it was a good time. We were having. Uh, one gentleman turned back about that, that time because he was too tired. And so I walked him down, oh, three or 400 yards, uh, to make sure he was on stable ground. And then he made it back to the car, gave him the keys. And then the, uh, rest of us went to the top. And it was, that's what I noticed more than anything. And the hogsback, uh, had 
been broken up. Uh, the one that I recall is uh, what they call the chute, right mm -hmm. towards the top. That had slid, and there was a big crevasse there, and so you had to go across uh, the face uh, to the other old chute, as which is about ten thousand feet mm -hmm. or so. And so you're uh, there wasn't a real big crowd up there that day, but there were there were quite a few people, so you had to wait in line and and uh, uh, finally made it to the top and and it was sunny, great day. Mm -hmm. Sat so down, had some lunch. Conditions was it icy or? Uh, it was a little bit crunchy. Yeah, yeah. It wasn't. Uh, it, it was starting to get a little bit because we'd taken so long because of the. Uh, the group that was there to get to the top, uh, the stove starts soften up a little bit. Mm -hmm. What time did you get to the top? Do you remember? Uh, we got, we were summited at about six thirty, seven o'clock, mm -hmm. and uh, um, stayed up there for a good hour or so, mm -hmm. um, just enjoying the view and and uh, enjoying the company and beautiful and breakfast watch. spot what's that beautiful breakfast spot yes beautiful <laughs> breakfast spot as a matter of fact and and uh uh most of the group wanted to get going so i okay great so they started back down and uh i was going to be 60 and so i figured this was my last time so mm -hmm. i stayed up there a little bit longer and <clears throat> watched them all get down to some kind of safe footing and uh um don't remember i all i remember is standing up from lunch i was on a little bit of a ledge because it was fairly narrow at the top and the it, it was extreme footing i'd call it and um when i stood up i took a couple of steps backwards down the mountain and then i thought oh, i'll take some pictures Took my camera out, took some pictures north and south, and then I put my phone back, and that's the last thing I remember until I was about 200 feet down the mountain, mm -hmm. sliding face first wow. towards one of the gentlemen that I was climbing with, and I looked at him like, how did I get here? And then I knew that I was sliding, so I tried to self-arrest, and... By that time, I was too fast. Yeah, that's what they said, and I had my axe, my uh, ice axe, tethered to my wrist, and I saw I must have buried it at some time because it it was a lot of nerve damage and mm -hmm. tendon damage in my right arm because it pulled off, mm -hmm. and so that's from the, all the eyewitnesses that were there said mm -hmm. there was looked like a rag doll going down the hill from there. And came to the edge of the funeral and flew across it, and and I hit the other side. I sort of remember that part because I remember the pain. Um, it's interesting how your body. I was fortunate. I mean, I was in fairly good shape, so it was fortunate that I didn't die right at that instant because mm -hmm. I must have hit my head and my side broke all of my left side ribs and bruised my heart and you know had multiple injuries lungs so forth and so on then fell down into the funeral and um landed on a ledge and so that's where i sat until somebody said are you okay i said nope <laughs> so how many feet did you fall did you do you know you know the uh, funeral is at about ten thousand, and so 
I was almost at 11. Wow. So I slid for a good thousand feet. And, wow. Yeah, it was. It's a long way. Everybody ride. said 700, 1,000, whatever. It was a long ways. <laughs> and, uh, and then when I finally came to rest in the funeral, it was. Uh, I was uh, in a lot of pain. Yeah. So, how many fractures did you get? Like, what were the damages to your? Well, the the biggest damage is when I landed, and that was the most painful part of it. Was when I landed. I landed on a a very fairly sharp rock, and it. Um, I just say it. It ruptured my right glute. And all the way to the bone. Mm. And so when I hit, I could feel that the entire time I'm laying there. That was the most pain. The rest of the pain, the ribs, I found out later, you know, I had 17 broken bones and and uh, 22 fractures wow. in different places in my body. So my left foot was, they they were thinking about taking it off. So, you know, I'm, I was wow. damaged. Yeah. And barely alive. And how long did it take to get back to normal? It it took a long time because they had to rebuild my ankle. Wow! And then put they were thinking about putting pins in my back because I broke my back in three places, shattered the one of the well shattered two vertebrae, and uh, so it's it took a while uh, to get back to some kind of uh, conditioning. Mm -hmm. I, I've always pushed myself to be in good condition. So I, you know, it's okay. Well, I can do, oh, and there are certain things that you couldn't do. Yeah. And since I had a cast on my left foot for six months on and off. Wow. So well, to our listeners, I'm looking at Mike and you look great. <laughs> <laughs> so um, I want to go to Pierce now. We'll get back to you, Mike. But okay. How did you find out about the accident and how it progressed from there? Yeah, uh, PMR, as, as you may know, we have these things called ready teams where we we look at our statistics from year to year and, and when are people on the mountain, when are the accidents happening, and we try to position ourselves up high uh, doing a little public education, climbing techniques and things like that on certain days of the year and certain weekends in particular. And and so I was on a ready team with uh, three other uh, members of our team that day. Uh, we were there around 9.30 when the call came in, uh, maybe a little bit later. And, uh, you know, this witnesses had said that uh, Mike had fallen and like, like he described, ragdoll going down the mountain. And uh, I like to describe it as like a golf ball at like a putt-putt range, mm -hmm. you know, just zooming across the putt-putt course until mm -hmm. right down into the hole. Right. And so, um, you know, we were, we jumped into action you know, and ran over to the area and grabbed gear and started assembling things. How deep uh, was the fumarole? You know, uh, that's, that's a great question. We, we talked a little bit about fumaroles earlier. I, I guess I should give some more background on those. Uh, on Mount Hood, there are, are four gases that are predominant in our, in our fumaroles. So that's, you know, carbon dioxide, uh, hydrogen sulfide, sulfur dioxide, and uh, some of those are more toxic than others. And, and we now have like these really robust, you know, fumarole protocols in mm -hmm. case somebody like Mike ever crosses our path again. <laughs> uh, we hope that doesn't happen. But um, not knowing, you know, uh, what we were dealing with at the time, it wasn't as well researched for us. And, and now we've, I guess we've become sort of the 
the pseudo experts on this this area, mm-hmm. um, for, at least on our little mountain. And uh, we have all these mitigation strategies, you know, fail safe type things to get our own rescuers back into safety when when things go south. And, you know, um, uh, air purifying respirators and things like that. Well, do, on, you on ever, the, do you ever not go in? You know, uh, if the concentrations are off or we don't have the resources needed, yeah, that that's a possibility that we can't go in to save somebody mm-hmm. because we, we have to consider mm-hmm. the, the lives of the rescuers as well. Right, right. We try to have those resources with us whenever we're on the mountain. Right. Um, so gas monitors and things mm-hmm. like that. So at the time, we didn't have that stuff. Um, all we knew was that there was a guy down there, deep down there, in a dark, smelly, rotten egg smell hole screaming in pain mm-hmm. and we could just barely see him uh it's about 90 feet down that day oh my goodness uh thereabouts and yeah. um you know the fumarole changes throughout the year it changes uh, every year is a little bit different uh each fumarole is different you know from one side of the mountain to the other mm-hmm. and as the season goes on and snow melts out the the hole can get deeper and you know smaller holes might have increased gas concentrations uh larger holes might vent a little bit better mm-hmm. Uh, but in any case, it's a dangerous pl- place to be. It's not a place you want to go and have a picnic or hang out or take your, take your girlfriend to get proposed or something like that. And then it was it straight down or was it sloped? You know, uh, on that particular year, it, it had a, a pretty steep slope. It was a little bit undulating. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, I like to describe Mike's uh, pathway of falling kind of like a, a you know ping pong ball. I kind of bounced off the walls, mm-hmm. I think. That's my best guess based on his injury patterns and where we found him at the bottom and that sort of thing. Mm-hmm. Wow. Mike, how long were you in the fumarole? Do you know? Um, you know, time doesn't you really pay too much attention, but I would say I was down there at least an hour, maybe wow. more. Um, uh, it was fortunate there was a wind that day, sort of blowing the gas away, mm-hmm. uh, and I didn't get. I, I don't even remember smelling anything. Mm-hmm. That was the that was the odd thing. But I was, you know, maybe just unconscious enough. I don't know. Wow. Pierce, how was it in a fumarole, if you could describe it for us? Oh, absolutely. Yeah, and I, and I would say that Mike was down there way too long. It's not a place you want to hang out. Yeah. But, um, you know, after we put in our anchors and, and we're going down, uh, every time, you know, we were sort of down climbing and the team was lowering us at the same time and all this kind of stuff. And um, every time you put your ice axe in, you're, you're down climbing with an ice axe is not our not easy to begin with sometimes mm-hmm. and the terrain is very undulating imagine sort of a semi-vertical shaft it wasn't quite vertical it was you know definitely more like a 60 to 70 degree slope mm-hmm. angle kind of a thing mm-hmm. and it was you know undulating moving from one slope angle to another as we worked our way to the bottom and uh i'd say the opening at the surface was was just about big enough to drive a Volkswagen into, which I think was in favor for Mike that year. Mm -hmm. Um, Smaller holes, it's harder for the gas to escape. Mm -hmm. And uh, in this case, uh, you know, you're putting your your ice axe in uh, as you're down climbing and and the rock is just so brittle. There's like steam and it smells like just rotten eggs. Mm -hmm. Makes you want to, I mean, still the day to this day, the smell up there uh, sometimes, you know, turns my stomach and I, I have little flashbacks to that day mm, and it like, wow. makes me want to, you know, throw up, toss my cookies. Wow. <laughs> but uh, you're putting your ice axe in and, and every now and then you, you you release a little gas with your ice axe and it's just right in your wow. face. Pss, pss. It's like, it's crazy. It's like a sci-fi movie. <laughs> uh, it really was. A bad one. <laughs> with good ending. Yes. Happy ending. <laughs> happy ending. 
So, Mike, you not only survived 1,100 of sliding, but then you also fell 90 more feet down onto the rocks. Yeah, that was... Uh, and everybody tells me this, and, and yes, I did. And so, I, you know, I, I wanted to reiterate one point. Those accidents, I've been mountaineering for over 40 years. Those accidents can happen to anybody. Yeah. Uh, it. You can go up there as prepared as possible. Mm-hmm. Still happens. I always safe. say the mountain doesn't care. No, it really doesn't. And and uh, as I was laying there, and I sort of talked a little bit, of, touched on this before we before we opened. Um, I recall the first memory that I recall is leaving, mm-hmm. and um, you know I, I talk about this with very few people, but. It was a near-death experience. I was, I remember coming out of the hole and turning towards the sky. And then I heard somebody say, are you okay? And that's when I came back to wherever I went. So I could say I was pretty much going to leave if, if Portland Mountain Rescue hadn't been there that day, I wouldn't be here today. If, If Pierce wasn't there. Yeah. Yeah, so, so on going that day, back, yeah. we um we got to the hole. We I were, call Pierce Angel One. So. Yeah, yes. <laughs> he's he's elevated. <laughs> uh, I'm really glad to see Mike. Every time we have a chance to get together, it it's so good for me to see him. Yeah. Um when when I came across him that day, you know, he was down in the hole screaming and myself and another rescuer uh set up some quick anchors, got down into the hole, assessed the situation. And I guess for for listeners, you know, this is not a spot where we get to have all of the nice splints and 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 start an IV and give you some narcotics and make you feel comfortable. Like those things aren't happening. This is like a burning burning car, or burning house type situation. We want to get in there, get out of there, keep everybody alive, and it's not going to be comfortable. Mm-hmm. And and Mike was not comfortable coming out of that hole. We. Uh, we, we was so fast, everything going on. We didn't even have a litter. We, we built a hasty litter out of webbing and, and Mike was so many fractures, I so can't many fractures. Imagine. And he's Ugh. just laying in my lap as, as we're trying to climb and get, get raised by our team members up top. Uh, he's just screaming the whole time. Mm-hmm. And, um, I'm glad you don't remember that. <laughs> I don't remember screaming at all. It's really yeah. for the best. <laughs> yeah. But by, by that time, you know, we, there was just four of us at the start of the mission, but we had, uh, 11 other members down lower on the mountain who made their way up with other rescue resources. And after we got out of the hole, then we reassessed the medical condition of what was going on with Mike and, um, you know, made, made, uh, preparations for a helicopter evacuation and packaged him up onto a litter and began the, the whole transition to getting him from, from that area up and over the hogs back down into devil's kitchen and then into a helicopter. Wow. That was quite a task because you had to bring him up and then down. Yeah, it was, you know, I I still think about that mission. Uh, I go back and see the pictures and and I was like, wow, that really happened. And and he's he's still here and look at him. There he goes. And um, I, you know, we've talked about psych first aid and for both rescuers and for for climbers. And Mm -hmm. this is definitely one of those type of events where, you know, you you run the risk of, of reliving it and having the, the stress injury formation uh, try to grab hold of you. And uh, so Mike's been, you know, great to uh, participate in these talks with us. And, um, mm-hmm. 
you're not climbing anymore. Is that right, Mike? Um, well, it's one of those things my wife said, if I want to stay married, then I will not be able to. So yeah. decided to stay married. But, you know, he says that, but he's still getting out there and getting it done. He was oh, just yeah. skiing the other day. And, yeah, I was um, skiing a Cradle Lake. It was fun. You're sneaking anyway. out. We want to tell. Yeah. <laughs> so, you know, I'm just uh, encouraged to see him out there and, mm. and doing that. How many hours did it take? Um... I, 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 the whole day, I really, mm-hmm. I really lost track of time. And mm-hmm. that I know we, you know, we started our day from the parking lot, you know, at sunrise and, and we were back somewhere around dinner time, mm-hmm. you know, plus or minus the, the rendezvous with the helicopter and all that kind of stuff. So Mike was super lucky that you guys were on a mountain because if you were not, it would add extra four or five hours. Yeah. I think a lot of people don't realize that, you know, Mount Hood is, it's close to Portland, but it's not in Portland. And so uh, a lot of people, they fly into town. We're going to climb in Mount Hood, and they, they, they leave the airport and go to the mountain. And um, it takes a while to get the rescuers on the mountain. You know, we're driving from Portland. And right now with the traffic and the pandemic, it, it yeah. really can slow things up. So right. uh, having those ready teams on the mountain is, is a pivotal service that we provide to the community. Mm-hmm. Mike, when you got to the hospital, what do you remember? What happened? Um, well, I, I'm, I'm sorry to say, but I, I don't remember anything until I woke up that night in ICU. Do you remember the flight? Cause I, uh, I remember about 30 seconds of the flight, but they had, they had, I, it was what a disappointment. the, the, the uh, gentleman in the, uh, uh, Blackhawk, I wish I could have remembered the whole thing, but, um, he cut the sleeve, put the IV in and within I'm going to say within a minute I was out. And so um, my son took some pictures uh, in the emergency room and they were talking about all the different injuries and this, that, and the other thing. And then, the, like I said, I don't remember anything until the following, till, till that night when I woke up and then I was on very strong medication. Mm-hmm. And so I don't, uh, the, the next day is when I was told about all of the breaks mm-hmm. and just talking earlier to peers, there's uh, as as uh, uh, individuals that like to do extreme extreme sports, and I've been a cyclist, avid mm-hmm. cyclist for a lot of years, and been down, hit ground, blah blah blah. You break a bone, you get back up. This one obviously was more extreme, mm-hmm. but that's what you 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 sort of set yourself mentally for that. Now is is. Uh, I think that's what probably set me up for the recovery mm-hmm. uh, because I've been down and broken and yeah. I get back up and you mend and you move on. Uh, I, I think if, if anything, uh, that's what I take away from it mentally. It just makes you sort of mentally tougher. Mm-hmm. I don't know if that makes a sense mm-hmm. or not, but it's uh, you get to the, uh, the recovery part worth my ankle that was, you know, bolted together and, and, uh, um, I knew that was going to be difficult, but it hasn't been real difficult. Mm-hmm. Um, that was six months worth of recovery with a cast on it. After that, all I was wanting to do is get back on my bike mm-hmm. and go for a ride. And, Were you able to uh, after six months? Uh, about uh, almost eight months. Mm-hmm. So you still get out and... Oh, yes. Yeah. Oh, yes. Uh, we just got back from Crater Lake, as a matter of fact, for the weekend skiing on the ice down there, which was a little bit tricky, but... <laughs> Have the boards for it, so still fun. <laughs> Men of steel. Yeah, you, you, you know, you, like I said, yeah, you, you do it for so, and other people that, that understand extreme sports, it's, you know, you just... You just can't stop. Yeah, you get up and go again. Yeah. I mean, 
So you, uh, you mentioned mental toughness. How did you deal mentally with the accident afterwards? It didn't. I mean, it bothered me uh, because I couldn't do what I could do before. Mm-hmm. Uh, and that was the hardest part. Mm-hmm. You know, it wasn't anything that I recall mm-hmm. a lot of um, decision to do one thing or another or sit there and feel sorry for myself. Mm-hmm. Uh, why did this happen? And mm-hmm. I just, things happen. Mm-hmm. And you get up and keep going. You so know. your coping mechanism was get there at work and then go cycling. It's you know if it still worked, yeah. I and I, I could walk and um, a few aches and pains. Mm-hmm. You just have to live with. Mm-hmm. So. Yeah, thank you. Um, so Mike, you said something really important that you remember that the mountain last time you climbed it, it wasn't as steep. So I want to talk about how the mountain changes throughout the years. And I don't know if, Piers, you want to talk about different conditions, because we have people that go up and they say, hey, I climbed Mount Hood, it was nothing. It was super easy. But then you have another person go in, even more experienced, and they get hurt. Why is that? Yeah, I... I love to see people's posting on Facebook, their summit picture, you know, the shadow of the mountain over, over lying the, the area below the valley below. It's, it's fantastic. I'm always excited to see mm-hmm. new people summiting the mountain. I get, I get jazzed for them. Uh, but the, the fact of the matter is the mountain is different every day. Mm-hmm. And if you, if you looked, uh, last week, we got a big, you know, warm front with a bunch of rain that dumped on top of the snow and it's just a sheet of ice anywhere above the Palmer right now. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and we, people were falling, you know, yeah. Um, the, the slope angle, uh, of, of getting up to the summit can change throughout the season. Uh, the type of snow that's on there, whether it's snow or ice or a little bit of everything can change. Even the snow bridges change, you know, um, a lot of times where Mike fell is covered in snow. You don't even see it. Mm -hmm. Sometimes that those, we call those snow bridges. Um, sometimes those snow bridges are are thin. And in fact, we had a a lady, uh, fall through a snow bridge while she was waiting for her party, uh, just a few weeks back, just fell down into another fumarole. Uh, She was able to get out without any injuries. That's great. Wow. Yeah, I think some of the uh, grade, the slope that you're talking about, and and it's just an opinion. Uh, There's been such an amount of glacial melt Mm -hmm. on most of the Cascades um, that has created a steeper, more exposed Mm -hmm. and more dangerous climb. And if you're... I, I would say anybody that wants to climb it, they would need to be prepared mm-hmm. uh, for those icy, uh, unstable conditions mm-hmm. and a much steeper climb right. than it was 10 or 15, right. 20 years ago when I climbed the first time. Right. So, This is a great segue to our next section. What can we learn from this accident? It's a great question. You know, we whenever we look at any mountain rescue incident, you know, we're always looking for a takeaway what message can we bring to the public? Um, you know, I'm not sure that Mike really did anything wrong that day. Mm-hmm. He was just climbing the mountain. Yeah. Maybe he had a misstep of his feet. Mm-hmm. Maybe he lost his footing. I don't, I have, we don't really know why he fell that day, yeah. but he did. And when we were there for him, um, when I look at that route and just the other things that, that lead us out into those areas, you know, Mike took a picture that day. Um, this didn't happen when he took his picture, but I remember that this is a good opportunity to talk about selfie death. Um, I can't tell you how many people have been taking pictures when they get too close to the edge and they fall over the edge. Mm-hmm. It's a real problem. Mm-hmm. 
So and just like when people are crossing the, the crosswalk and they're texting and they get hit by a car, mm-hmm. um, bad things happen when you're taking selfies and not watching where you're at in the wilderness. Mm-hmm. So um, something really to be uh, aware of. Um, in this particular scenario, uh, knowing the route and uh, knowing the conditions are, are really important. You know, if, if you know that there is a fumarole in this area, uh, you, you want to walk around that area. And most of the time you can see the boot pack on the mountain is mm-hmm. going away from the area of the fumaroles. Mm-hmm. Uh, other people who have been there before you uh, have, have packed out that trail or that, that route. Uh, so you know to avoid that area. Mm-hmm. Uh, so that's a really a big deal is, is knowing the route. A lot of times PMR members are on hawk's back. So you can just ask them too if you're not sure. Yeah, if you see those bright orange jackets yeah. and we look like we're bored and looking for something to do, Go come and talk, talk to, to them. us. We love to say hello, bring us cookies. We like that too. Yeah. Uh, but uh, we're out there to, to be a resource and we can tell you, uh, you know, what the mountain's looking like that day. Yeah. Um, I would say in addition to knowing the route, knowing the conditions, you know, uh, checking in with, uh, I, I don't normally tell people to go to Google uh, when like they're my patient at the hospital, you know, Dr. Google is never a good thing. But in this case for mountaineering, knowing the conditions, you can get a lot of good resources mm-hmm. from the, the Facebook uh, interest groups. You know, there's a Pacific Northwest Mountaineers page. Uh, Portland Mountain Rescue has a Facebook page and often we're updating the conditions on the mountains mm-hmm. and you can check uh, NWAC uh, for avalanche conditions. Uh, love those guys and gals. And so, um, knowing, knowing the conditions is really important. Uh, I guess, uh, another, another thing to think about when you're climbing in a group is just to have a plan. If you've got people with mixed abilities and some of them are stronger climbers than others, uh, sometimes it might make sense for the, the stronger climber to lower that climber, mm-hmm. uh, put it in an anchor, lower that climber down over the, over the tricky section and then down climb it yourself. Mm-hmm. Uh, we, we don't recommend that people, down climb roped up together, uh, unless there's, you know, anchors, you know, running anchors in between them, because that just doesn't seem to work out well. And we've had a lot of rescues where mm-hmm. people have uh, tangled themselves up in mm-hmm. a rope as they tumble together in a mm-hmm. giant pile of dental floss mm-hmm. going down the mountain. I call it suicide pack. Yeah, <laughs> it, is, it is not a good way to do that. And then uh, obviously some of the more on the basic side of thing is, is you know, practicing your self-arrest. Uh, on Mike's day, he was going so fast mm-hmm. and so far. I don't care how good you are at self-arresting. Mm-hmm. Um, it, the same thing that happened to Mike is going to happen to you. Um, it's good to practice your self-arrest skills and be be really Johnny on the spot about that. Uh, but uh, you know, Mike's case, his ice axe was ripped right out of his hand, and um, wow. so so strongly mm-hmm. that it caused you know tendon damage to his arm. Yeah. Um, but that's a good skill that we should all be practicing. And you want to do it right away, immediately. Yeah. Yeah. I think the only thing I can really add to uh, approaches of a climb is knowing when to turn around uh, and making that hard choice sometimes. Mm -hmm. And um, there were a couple of times because of the, of the group that I was with and didn't seem to be as uh, good a condition as I would have liked. Um, I thought about just turning around the whole group. I've been on several climbs mm-hmm. that that's what you do. You just mm-hmm. turn around. You don't go any further. Mm-hmm. And, and you have to make that hard decision. Uh, yeah. something's always good, but if it's not yes. going to, if you're not going to come back down, then yeah. it doesn't make any difference. That day it, just happened to be it, one of those accidents. And I, but, uh, knowing when to turn around, yeah. that's a, always a, a good it's, key. it's a hard decision, especially when you come out of, when you're coming out of town. 
you paid for the flight ticket, you spend all this money, the mountain's right here, why wouldn't you climb it? Yeah. Too tired, you know, things yeah. of that nature. You really got to be the person that says yeah. it yeah. And, yeah. Um, and, then, and then turn around. Yeah, that's um, a really, really good point. The mountain will always be there. Yeah. True. Very and true. so will PMR. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you so much, Mike, for coming over and talking to us. I know you don't talk about this much, so I really, really appreciate it. I know a lot of people will learn and take something out of this podcast i so appreciate you coming here thank you and thank you pierce as usual for your knowledge and, and willingness to come and talk to us i'm always happy to have you here and talk to us anya it's great to be here and it's so awesome to see you mike i uh i, I really enjoy this it's uh it's, was it was a blessing to me to be there that, that day for you yeah yeah, you guys more. are really good friends now, I hear. <laughs> we, we talk fairly frequently. Yeah. yeah. He's in my speed dial. <laughs> <laughs> well, I'm so glad that you're still here with us, Mike. Oh, yeah, Thank me you. too. <laughs> hey, thanks for listening to The Rescue Radio. Before we go... Show some love for your favorite podcast by leaving us a review on your podcast app, hitting the subscribe button, and as always, thank you so much for your support.